Every now and then I watch the news. You know, maybe at 10 o'clock. Every now and then. But I, I wish I'd turn on the news. And the newscaster would say, I got good news. God is reigning in heaven. And he's over all the earth. So get your eyes on the circumstances. Get your eyes on the living God. That's exactly what we just sang. A friend of mine was really discouraged. He was fighting a battle in a church between those that believed the word of God and those that uh, were, were, didn't believe the word of God. He was really, really ready to give up. And he was in his study, and a lady came by and just asked the secretary, can I just say one word to the pastor? And she said, yeah, she knocked on his door, and he was really down. But on the wall of his study, there was a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. And there was Daniel surrounded by the lions because he had obeyed God, and the king had commanded him to be put there. And the lady simply said, Pastor, look at that picture on your wall. What do you notice about Daniel? She said, he said, well, you know, Daniel's looking straight into heaven. You know, Daniel doesn't have his eyes on the lions. He has his eyes on the Lord. And she said, Pastor, you need to get your eyes off the lions. And you need to get your eyes on the Lord. And it turned him around. I hadn't planned on telling that story, but I want to say this to you. There's some of you sitting right here. You're in your own lion's den. And in many ways, our nation is surrounded by lions. But let me tell you all. We don't need to put our eyes on the lions. Amen. Let's keep our eyes on the Lord and ask him to be God of this city and God of this state and God of this nation. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Now, that's a chorus, isn't it? I hadn't planned on singing it, but we're going to sing it right now. Let's sing it. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome You can do it better this time. Let's go. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom. Dumb power and love. Our God is an awesome God. You say, but Brother Fred, that wasn't in the bulletin. We don't operate by the bulletin around here. We operate by the Holy Spirit. And that's not said in pride. That's not one ounce of pride in that. But what God, if God wants to change anything, He can change anytime He wants to. Brother Ed agrees with me, and I agree with him. Hey, God, you're in control of this service. We're not. So do whatever you want to do. And Ed, it works. I've been singing, my brain, three-fourths of my brain lit up. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> I just was blessed. You know, I really believe this. It's a statement that 
may go beyond you and you say, I don't know about that. But I believe that when God created man and male and female in his image, I believe he put into the heart of every male and female that their greatest passion would be to experience the presence of the living God. And I believe that's the way Adam and Eve lived before they sinned. In fact, it, God said that, it said that God would come in the cool of the day and would just take a walk with Adam. Adam, how's your day? Eve, how are you doing? But then after they sinned, they hid from God. You know, I believe in every person on the face of this earth. They may, not, they may be in Africa and know not how to express it. They may be in Westmobile down here and not know how to express it. But the thing is, in our heart, there's a desperate longing for reality, a desperate longing for that which is real, a desperate longing for that which is eternal. There's just in each of us a longing and a need to experience the presence of God. You know, Augustine said it well. I've heard this quoted, and it's one of the greatest quotes that ever has been made. It said, God, you have created us for yourself, and we are restless until we find our rest in you. Have you ever noticed that the things of this world never satisfy the deepest needs of our heart? We think, well, if I can just get the right house, the right car, the right clothes, the right education, the right wife, my children just do good, that's going to be, that'll take care of it. That'll be the American dream. You can have all of that and not have that experience inside of you of the presence of God and of knowing the reality of God and experiencing personally God's love and God's grace, but above all, experiencing God himself, we ought to understand that no one can satisfy, nothing can satisfy the deepest need of your heart but the presence of God himself. And you know, the Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you will show us the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, well, now wait a minute. In God's presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, wow, Lord, are pleasures forevermore. What a promise from God. Listen, I'll show you the path of life. And you just remember that when you find your rest in me and you find your fulfillment in me, in my presence, there's fullness of joy. And by the way, there's pleasure forevermore. So there's a hunger and a passion in the creation of God for his presence. There's no question about it. But you know, you're not going to find a meaning in life. You're not, not, not going to find fulfillment in life. I didn't say you might not find success in the world's eyes. But you're not going to find meaning and fulfillment in the deepest part of your being. 
until you find it in God himself. And that is only through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this. I want to talk to you about experience the presence of God. I'm not talking about in a feeling. We, we are emotional people, and sometimes emotionally, we, we just sense, we feel the presence of God in, in our deep depth of our emotions. But it's more to it than that. It's in our spirit. But in thinking about experiencing and living in the presence of God, the tragedy is the greatest hindrance to experiencing God's presence is religion. Now, let me tell you why. And I'm not picking on any denomination or anything else. But 90, I'm not even going to give a percentage. But most religions say the way to get into the presence of God and the way to experience God's presence in your life is by good works. And if you just live a good life, and you just do good things, then that certainly will open the door of heaven and get you into the presence of God now and then get you in his presence for eternity. Did you know most, all the world religions, from uh, Mohammedism and Buddhism and all, all of them, uh, Hindus, all that stuff, and all the religion in America that's religion, they're, they're, they're trying to earn their way into the presence of God. They're trying to earn their way into the experience of God. But let me tell you something. Listen to me. All the good works in the world cannot take away the stain of sin. And all the good works in the world cannot take away the guilt of sin. Back years ago at Cottage Hill, there were many servicemen that were over at uh, the Air Force Base in Biloxi. And so Corinne Hawkins and others, Pat Palmore, they would have them come over, and, 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 and they would come regularly, and they were Muslims, and they were Hindus, and they were, uh, you name it, and they were it, you know. And, 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 and so I never will forget, back in the, out in the backyard, I, I, I asked this guy, I said, now, what's your hope of heaven? What's your hope of of experiencing or knowing God personally? And he had a blank look on his face. He said, I don't have any hope. He said, maybe if I do enough good things, maybe if my good things outweigh my bad things, and this is basically what he was saying, maybe, maybe if my works... Can I ask you a question? How good is good enough? If you're going to trust in your works to get you in the presence of God, how good is good enough? Oh, by the way, let me ask you another question. If you're going to trust your good works to get you into the presence of God and fling open the doors of heaven, what are the good works that are required? But you see, the Bible says, just the opposite. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it it absolutely makes clear. Now look what it says. This is the word of God, y'all. 
And anybody that's trusting in their works to get them in the presence of God and to take away the guilt and stain of sin has been deceived. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Bible over and over again says, no good work can wash your sin away. No good work can take away the guilt and stain of sin. In that great chapter over in Ephesians, where he talks about salvation, he says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. And then he said it, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I'm telling you, the tragedy of getting into the presence of God and living in the presence of God is that men and women, countless multitudes, millions and billions, think, well, if my good works just outweigh my bad works, if somehow I do the right thing, it'll take away the guilt and stain of sin. You know, I never will forget a few years ago, well, no, many years ago, first time I'd ever been to the Holy Land, I think I went three times, I lost track. But, you know, it was beautiful to go, and I enjoyed it. But we made a side trip to Egypt, and we went to the museum in Egypt. Can I say something? If it's a museum in Egypt, it's old things. I want you to know that. It's old. I mean, give me, you can't go much further back, further than Egypt. Well, we hadn't gone very far. And we come up on this case, and in there is a mummy. Now, I'm not talking about one of those you see on TV. This was a real, live, no, it wasn't alive. It was a real, no, it was a real mummy. And, buddy, you could tell he'd been dead 2,000 years. I mean, there wasn't no question about it. There was no wrinkle cream that could have taken care of him. And I noticed that he had a feather laying across his chest. And we asked the guide. What's that all about? Well, you know, the Egyptians believed if their uh, sins were lighter than a feather or if their bad works were lighter than a feather, that uh, if their good works were like a light feather, I'm, I'm getting it all confused, but I know what I'm saying. He was just saying that they had, their, they had to have their good works had to be and their right with God had to be as light as a feather if they were going to get into what they called the kingdom of God. It was works. It was works. It was exactly what it was. Hey, by the way, I got to tell you this, and I hadn't planned on telling you. And boy, this encouraged me. So we wound on through that museum, and we came upon this huge statue of one of those Egyptian kings. And he had on that, you know, it was, it was a robe, statue and had on that robe and that long hair and that kind of things that those kings wore. And I looked at him. And as I looked down at his feet were a bunch of bodies. I mean, you know, little small bodies just laying under his feet. And I said to, to the guy, what does that mean? He said, oh, anytime a king 
went out and won a battle. I'm getting excited about this. Woo! Every time a king went out and won a battle, what they would do, they'd make a statue. And, it, and the, fact, the fact that he had conquered his enemies, they'd put all those things under his feet as a sign of his victory. You know what? That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians that Jesus had taken all principalities and all powers and all rulers of darkness and put them under his feet. Glory to God. By the way, I want you to know Jesus has won the victory. He won the victory, y'all. The the devil, death, and hell are under the feet of the Son of God. We're not praying for victory. We're we're working and living from victory. Well, Brother Fred, I'm going to work hard and have the victory. No, you missed it. Jesus has the victory. Surrender to him. Let him be the Lord of your life, and you have victory in Jesus. That's more than a song. By the way, that's a song. I'm not going to sing it, but that's a song. You know, I'm telling you, the battle has already been won, y'all. Goliath has already been slain. And Jesus is on the throne at the right hand of the Father in the majesty on high. And at the name of Jesus, every knee's going to bow. And every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I have gone so far from my notes. I don't know how I'm going to get back. All right, the tragedy, listen to me, is you'll never experience the presence of God by religion, by good works. It'll never take care of the guilt or the stain of sin. But then let's go on. How do you have access into the presence of God? How do you experience God's awesome presence. You know what happens in those moments? We live in the presence of God all the time. You know, the the psalmist said, if if I go to the uttermost parts of the depths, he's there. If I wake up here, he's there. There's nowhere I can get out of your presence. And every day, there's the presence of God in this universe. The heavens declare his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The presence of God is always among us when the sun comes up in the east and sets in the west. I'm telling you, God, when this universe spins just right, it's because of the presence of God. It is the presence of God that holds everything together. It's the presence of God that causes gravity to work. You know, I mean, so, but I'm talking about intimate, living intimately in the presence of God. Knowing him by name and him knowing you by name. How do you get access into the, to the presence of God? All right? I'll give you some scriptures. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Now, when we see the word reconciled, then we mean if somebody's reconciled, they were separated. You can't be reconciled unless you were separated, right? All right, so look what it says. Now, all things of God, let me look it up right here in Corinthians. It's on the screen, but I like to read it in the Bible. Uh, It's more inspired in the Bible than on the screen. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17 and 18. All right, it says here, verse 18. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. 
all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself. That means we were separated. So God had to reconcile us. Well, how did he do it? He said, you do these good works. Oh, no, that's not what he said. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What part of that don't we understand? God has reconciled us to himself by good works. No. He's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 19. How did God reconcile us? God was in Christ, reconciling you to himself, reconciling the world to himself. Now, this is big. Not charging their sins to them. You, you know what God did? In order to reconcile us to himself, Jesus came, shed his precious blood, and God, through that precious blood of Jesus, washed our sins away and charged all our sins to Jesus. Now, see, good works could never get rid of the guilt and stain of sin. The blood of Jesus washes away the guilt and stain of sin. So it says here in this 19th verse, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not charging their sins to them, and has committed us to us the ministry of reconciliation. All right? Over in Colossians chapter 1. Now, I'm talking about um, how you get, how you experience the presence of God, how you live in his presence, and you experience his presence, because that's where fullness of joy is. That's when you find rest for your soul. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Let's see what it says. Here it is. It'll be on the screen, but Colossians 1, 13. Okay. Here it is. Boy, I love this. This is how you have, you have presence, get in the presence of God. This is how you experience him, his fullness of joy. And you, you just know, you know, hey, God, is, I, I know he's in me. I know, I know his presence. It says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his son. Glory to God. I got good news for you. If you're a child of God, you're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. If you're a child of God, you're in the kingdom of God. And our ruler is not the prince of darkness called the devil, but our ruler is the prince of life, and his name is Jesus. He has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Look at verse 14. This is how you get into God's presence. In whom we have redemption, we're redeemed, we're purchased, we're paid for, we're restored, we're bought back. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. He's the image of the invisible God, the first ball of all creation. I love this about Jesus. By him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions, principalities and powers, you were created for him. Listen to this. All things were created through him and for him. See, 
How do we get into the presence of God? How do we live there? How do we have fellowship with Him? How do we find our rest in Him? How do we find the peace and the joy that everybody's looking for and can't find it? You know, why do people have to numb their minds to try to get through another day? Why do they have to do that? Because they don't have any rest. They don't have any peace. They don't have any fulfillment. And it says that we were created for Him. And so the way we get into His presence is through the blood of Christ, the finished work. Now, John 19, I want you to get this. I'm talking about living in the presence of God. John chapter 19. Boy, this, this is a, I love this. In John chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. And he, bearing his cross, this is, I'm talking about experiencing the presence of God. Living in his presence. Oh, that's where life is. That's where joy is. That's where fulfillment is. That's where peace is. Oh, it's in his presence. It says, and bearing his cross, he went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on the either side and Jesus in the the center, and it goes on and said in verse, um, in that chapter, in verse 28 through verse 30, all right, so they crucified him, all right, in verse 28 through 30, and um, I turn, I see. Now, that is not right. It's John 19, verses 28 and 30. Okay, there it is right there. Okay. Um, That is not right. Oh, here it is. It's verse 29 and 30. John 19. This is the most important part of this sermon, and I got messed up. It says here, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. They filled it with a sponge and put it on a hyssop and put it on his mouth. Now, this is where I was trying to go. Now, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is what? It is finished. What was finished? The purpose for which he came to this earth. He came on th- to this earth to die for your sins. He came to this earth to provide for you his righteousness. And in order for that to be done, he had to go to the cross and die in your place and take your sin so he could give you his righteousness. So they put him on the cross and and he just shouted with a loud voice, it is finished. Did you notice? He did not say, I am finished. He was just getting started. Well, what was finished? Now I'm going to get this chapter right. Matthew chapter uh, uh, 27, look over here. Now, it's all right when you get to this, if you want to uh, just have a spell, because it's, it, it's, it's one of the greatest truths in all the Bible. And man, anytime I get on this, it's hard to get over it. It's Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54. Okay. Now, he's on the cross, and he cried, it is finished. I have accomplished what God sent me to do. 
I am the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I am the lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. I have just won the victory. The devil is defeated. It is finished. It is finished. All right. Chapter 27. And it's verse, um, verse 50. All right, let me find it. Here it is. That's 26, 27. All right, verse 50. No, here we go. All right, verse 50. All right. And, and, and of course, Jesus said a lot of things there. And, but in verse 50, it says, and he's on the cross. He's cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, I thirst. But then in verse 50, and Jesus cried out again. He said, I thirst. My God, why have you forsaken me? All that stuff. But now he cried out again. What, what, was it? what did he cry out? He cried out, it is finished. That's what John said. That's what he said over there in John 19. He cried out, it is finished. He cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Well, then look what happened in verse 51. Can you believe this? Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming out of the graves after his resurrection. All right, I want you to listen. When man sinned, there was the tabernacle, outer court, holy place, holy of holies. In the holy of holies was the, was the uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. All the people could go into the outer court. All the people could go. No, the people could go in the outer court. Just the priests could go in the holy place. But at the back of the holy place was that thick veil. That was thick veil. But that's where God's presence was. The Shekinah glory of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. That's where God lived. That's where God dwelt, in the Holy of Holies. And there was a, about a 10-inch thick, 9-foot high veil. And, 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 you know, nobody could go in there, nobody, but once a year, the priest, the high priest. On the Day of Atonement, they would spend hours washing him and sanctifying him. And he would carry in his hand some smoke, a censer full of smoke, to cover him from the presence of God so that he wouldn't get struck dead going into the presence of God. And he would slip inside the veil covered by that smoke and he would sprinkle the mercy seat seven times with the blood of a lamb, atoning for the sins of the people for a year, not get, getting rid of them, just covering them. And then he'd turn around and come back outside the veil. And for another year, another year, nobody could go inside the veil. For another year, nobody could go into the presence of God. Wait a minute. We were created to live in his presence. It is in his presence that we find real life. But nobody could go in there because of sin. But on the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished. It is finished. All sin, past, present, and future was paid in full. Righteousness was now provided by the Son of God. And when Jesus won the victory on the cross and said, it is finished, guess what happened? God reached down from heaven, took that veil, and ripped it from the top to the bottom and said, you can come on in to the presence of God. Welcome into the presence of God. And that was never possible, never possible till Jesus died on the cross. Why in the world don't people believe the Bible? And you go back and you see the veil and nobody can get in. And then Jesus won the victory over 
sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil, cried, it is finished. The devil was defeated. And God said, it's done. Now I can reconcile myself to my creation. God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. So God just had, there was such joy in heaven. God just took his hand and ripped that veil in two. And from that day forward, you and I, through the blood of Jesus, can live in the presence of God. And it's all because of the cross. You know, let me tell you something. Man, I got to get this uh, other verse I want to show you. Listen, the veil is in two. And through that we have access into his holy, holy presence. And it's through the blood of Christ. You've got to see this now. I'm going to show you why it says that. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, it's so clear that now we can go into the presence of God. So absolutely clear. All right, it's Hebrews, James, and John. And uh, it's on the screen. I ain't going to try to look it up. I ain't got time. Here it is. All right, you read it. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. You know what boldness is? Confidence. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that is holy of holies, that is inside the veil. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, the very holiest by the blood of Jesus. And you go on in the next verse and it says, by that new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, through the veil, that, he, that is his flesh. And then it goes on in the next verse and says, and we have a high priest over the house of God. And then it says this to us, let, and let us draw near to God, to the very presence of Yahweh, the living God. Let us draw near with a true heart. Lord, I'm trusting in the blood of Christ. I'm not trusting in my good works. All my works are as filthy rags. All my works are as filthy rags. I'm not trusting in them. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Listen to this. Our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus from an evil conscience, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Did you know the way you get into the presence of God And the way you live in the presence of God is through the precious blood of Christ. He has washed your sins away. Revelation chapter 1 says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So it's not by works. It is through the death of Christ on the cross. The veil has been torn in two. And you and I can go right on into the presence of God. Our sins are gone. And by the way, we have the righteousness of Christ. In Romans 5, 17, it says, we have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. All right, the guilt and stain of sin is gone through the blood of Christ. And now the gift of righteousness is ours. By one man's offense, death reigned through one. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Okay, how do you get into the presence of God? How do you live in the presence of God? How do you experience the presence of God? That's where 
peace is. That's where rest is. That's where fulfillment is. That's where you are exactly in the place where God wants you to be, living in his presence through the blood of Christ and the righteousness of Christ. That's how you get in there. Now, all right, this, I want to talk to you about uh, living in his presence. First of all, God comes to live in us. Isn't that amazing? God dwelled in the Holy of Holies. That's where he lived, behind the veil. But the veil is torn in two. And now we have access into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. We can come boldly, boldly, boldly to the throne of grace. But you see, as a part of living in his presence, God comes to live inside of us. Now, you know, you say, Brother Fred, that, that's, that's an amazing statement. Well, all I'm telling you is what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, to them God willed to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of God's glory. I not only can live in his presence through the blood of Christ, but he can come to live in me. It's Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. Did you know your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Where on a, what temple does God live in on earth? You? The Christian's a temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price? Listen, I, I'm going to tell you what messed me up. You know, I, I mean, I, I was raised in a good Bible-believing church, but, but somehow I had it messed up. It, it was like this. I was so thankful for God in here. And I was. I, I was thankful for God in the Bible. And then I, I was so thankful for God back there, the God of history, the God that opened the Red Sea, the God that slew Goliath by, at the hand of David, the God that worked time after time, miracle after miracle. Uh, and so I was so thankful for God in here. And I was so thankful for God back there. And, and then I got, I said, man, I, I'm thankful for back, God back there, the cross. Man, I'm thankful for the cross. And that was good. And I said, God, God in here and God back there and God on the cross. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And I said, hallelujah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Jesus up there, Right? Let me tell you something. It's not God in here. And it's not God back there in history. And it's not God back there on the cross. And it's not God seated at the right hand of the ma Jesus seated at the right hand of a majesty on high. I tell you what excites us. It's God in here. Did you hear what I said? It's God in here. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. Now get this, Christ lives in me. Can, can I say something to you as a Christian? You don't ever go anywhere without Jesus. You don't ever go anywhere without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Your body's his temple. Christ lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not Jesus up there and you down here. Glory to God, it's Jesus in here. That changes everything. Do you know what the Bible says in John, 1 John 4, 4? Greater is he that is in you 
than the devil that is in the world. See, the presence of God is Christ in us. God has come to live in us. But, you know, we experience the presence of God by the presence of God in us. But let me say this, and I'm running out of time. I don't like the clock. Psalm 63, I want you to look at it. Okay, you say, all right, Brother Fred, it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that the stain and guilt of sin is gone. It is through the blood of Christ and the resurrection of Christ that I have the imputed righteousness of Jesus. I am, Jesus is my righteousness, and now I'm living inside the veil, and I can come boldly in the presence of God, and God lives in me, Christ lives in me, and the presence of God is in me. But let me tell you what God wants you to do. He wants you to hunger and thirst after him. And oh, how the devil tries to divert us. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, 1 and Chapter 3, 1 and 2, if you're raised with Christ, set your mind on things above and not on things below. That's the hardest thing in this world to do, y'all. I'm living in this world, but my Lord, he said, now if you're risen with Christ, set your affection on things above and not on things below. For you're dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if we're going to experience his presence, look at Psalm 63. I wish you'd read this every morning. Oh, how we need this. Oh, my God. The world pulls at us. The flesh pulls at us. The devil pulls at us. Tries to get us our minds on other things. Look at what it says. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. He said, God, I'm thirsty for you. What are you thirsty for? Come on. Oh, God, you're my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Lord, I'm thirsty for you. Uh, Everybody's thirsting after everything else, but I'm thirsty for you, Lord. That's where my thirst is. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. How hungry and thirsty are you for the presence of God? I mean you. Go back to Psalm 42. He says it in another way. See, to experience the presence of God, you've got to know that Christ has come to live in us in the Holy Spirit. But man, we've got to set our affection on things above. We've got to be hungry and thirsty for God himself. We've got to long for him. We've got to look for him. And in Psalm 42, he says it again. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, as a deer is thirsty and looking for water, as a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Oh, my God, may that be true. We pant after everything. We say, well, I need this, and I need that, and I want this, and I want that. He said, let me tell you something, Lord. I'm thirsty for you. I'm hungry for you. And he says, my my soul thirsts for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Oh, may that be true. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continue to say to me, well, where is your God? Oh, listen, you what, number one, thank God that your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. 
The guilt and stain of sin is gone. The veil in his temple is torn in two. You live in the presence of God now through the precious blood of Christ and through the imputed righteousness of Christ. And now that you're in his presence, God has come to live in you by the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But every day you live, oh God, I'm thirsty for you. Oh God, I'm hungry for you. Oh God, make me hungry. Make me thirsty. Listen, I'm telling you, I, I fight this battle. This world will absolutely occupy you. You know, the Bible says, don't let the, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word of God. Listen, you have to fight this world that you're living in and to keep your focus on Jesus. I mean, you've got to do it. But it's hard, y'all. It's a battle, y'all. But say, oh God, please make me hungry and please make me thirsty and please let my soul thirst after you because in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A couple more things. You want to experience his presence? Obey him. Did you know he promises? Man, this will bless you. In John 14, John chapter 14, verse 21, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Oh, this is good. This is a promise, y'all. You say, I want to experience the love and presence of Jesus. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's personal. He said, if you love me, he who has my commandments and keep it, it's he who loves me. Loves me will be loved by my Father and I'll love him. And I will manifest. When you walk in obedience to God, he manifests himself to you. That's a promise. And you look, you look right on over, not only in verse 21, but look at verse 23. Now, you talk about a great verse about the presence of God in verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's obedience. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whew. God says we'll move in. If you love me and keep, I said, we'll just move in. We'll manifest ourselves to you and we'll just move in. We'll make our home with you. And then, you know, uh, as you want to experience his presence, come to realize he's come to live in you, have a hunger and thirst for him every day and seek him with your whole heart. Re- obey him. And he said he'd manifest himself to you and him and the father would come and dwell with you. And then you love his word. Every time I get in the word of God, I feel a closeness to to the Father. I feel a closeness to Jesus. It's something about the word that just draws you into the presence of God. This book will draw you into the presence of Jesus. And and, and I'll tell you another thing is uh, when you pray, when you pray, not only when you're in the word, but when you're praying, you're drawing into his presence. And, and, and so many times it's when Jesus manifests himself to you and becomes very near to you and very precious to you. So he's come to live in you. You have a hunger and thirst for him. You obey him. You get in his word and you seek him. And, he, and then you, you pray to him. But you know, one way you experience his presence is through worship. In John 4, 23 and 24, It talks about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. 
The hour is coming and now is when true worship will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. You know what will bless you? So, so you've got a little time. You, you don't have a choir leader. You don't have a music director. You don't need one. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He's a great music director, great music director. Jesus is in you. So you just put on your, your favorite chorus, your favorite song, that favorite hymn. You just fill the room ooh, with sweet aroma of worship to God. And in the presence, you just just in the presence of the music of worship. You just go around your house, and you just worship God. You worship in the kitchen. You worship in the den. You worship in the living room. You worship in the bedroom. You even go out on the back porch when it's not too hot, and you worship Him on the porch. You know, there's something about music. Ed's gonna love it. Something about music that just kind of lifts you into God's presence. It's just something about it. Now, I'm going to close with this. Man, it's late. I want you to listen to me. Don't you be satisfied not to live in the presence of God. Don't you settle for less. You make up your mind, by the grace of God, I will seek him. By the grace of God, I will live and enjoy his presence, and I refuse to be contaminated and controlled by the atmosphere of this world. I want to breathe the air of heaven. I want the wind of God to blow over my soul. I want to experience the presence of God. And that is your right as a child of God.